Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Yes, thank you. We got a couple here that responded. That's fantastic. It is great uh, to be here together. And can I say, we are really blessed at New Beginnings. How great is it that we can have Kerry lead and the worship team lead us this morning in music and worship. Uh, And also something that we don't often maybe we take for granted that we are really blessed with is we're blessed with preaching that comes straight out of the Bible. And uh, I just want to really affirm the leadership that are choosing the the sermon series and uh, the the, um, the, the how we go about preaching and teaching on a Sunday because uh, we, we actually are really blessed that we come straight out of the Bible. Uh, and let's be honest, the Bible is the only thing that will change hearts, lives, spirits. Uh, it doesn't matter what you or I have to say, it's actually the Bible that will do that. Uh, so we are really blessed here. Uh, but today we're going to continue continue in the Bible from our, our, in our series on the ways, the works and the words of Jesus. The ways, the, the works, the words and the ways of Jesus. And uh, in particular, in this sermon this morning, we are, we're going to look at some of the words of Jesus. But these words are probably lesser known, lesser known than actually uh, some of the other stories. You know, we quite often, I think, love to go to our stories that we can relate to. And that's fair enough, you know, it gives us a personal connection. And we, we have our stories which uh, we, we tend to find have a significance in our life. But the problem is when we just go to those stories, we actually start to miss the grander breadth that is someone. And in this case in particular, it is of Jesus. And this is why it's so important that we go back to all these different stories and actually read the whole part, the whole aspect of what it is that was recorded about Jesus because they wouldn't have written it if it wasn't important. It wasn't like we can write today and everything gets written down. This is important stuff. They went to an extent and it's lasted through history. So what do I mean by that though? For example, let me tell you, we're going to have a little activity, an activity in the chat. I want some of these people in the, in, the, uh, in the building here helping making live stream run. Jump on your phones quick because I'm going to give you some questions about myself to try and help explain this point. So as they jump on, uh, let me explain what I mean. Because I think a lot of everyone here knows Caleb. Like I've, I'm pretty open with my story and what's happened. And uh, I, I do tell some people more than others. So they have a better understanding of what makes Caleb tick. But for example, in the chat, I want to see, I don't have my phone on me. So I want, if someone sees the right answer on there in here, you can yell it out to me. What is my favorite color? Now, for, this isn't necessarily a big grand defining thing of Caleb, but it is something that is to do with Caleb. What's my favorite color? Did, did someone, no one's responded in there yet? No, that's all right. Okay. Olive. Olive, olive, no, olive is close, but no, it's, uh, it's purple. Purple's my favorite color. What sport, did someone get it in there? Yeah, Lucky got it, Lucky got it. That's awesome. Uh, what sport shaped my childhood? What sport did I play in my upbringing? Now, this has a little bit more information, right? Because it means if I was in a solo sport, maybe I don't have as much teamwork as necessarily if I was in a team sport. Not to say you can't learn those skills, but 
I've been brought up into it. I played soccer, right? I played soccer and I like to think I was all right at it. Now I just play soccer for injuries. No, I enjoy the social aspect. Um, which instrument was I taught as a child? Now, some of you might not know which instrument I was taught because you see me on a couple up here. Simon's got the actions right. Simon's got the actions right. I was taught piano as a child. You know, my parents believed if you learn piano, they were told you can learn any instrument. And, you know, I've, I would agree at this point so far in my life. I haven't yet come across an instrument I haven't been able to learn. Let's get to some serious stuff though. These things are things about Caleb. What about this? What country did I travel to which reshaped how I read the Bible? Yeah, we got a couple of answers here. I traveled to Israel and since that day, it gives a whole new perspective on how I read the Bible. And that had a really formational part of my life and how I now interpret, read and engage with the Bible. What about this? Which event in my life shaped the direction of my life? See, when we start to ask some of these bigger questions, not necessarily stories we hear a lot of because they're maybe a little bit more vulnerable or a little bit more painful, we don't tend to necessarily actually hear it as much, but it's a really big part of what pivoted my life. Who, to whom do I owe all my life to? And because they have brought me into this new life. Now see this, you'd probably know because, oh, Caleb's out there preaching, that's gotta be God and you'd be right. And we know that because that's in things that you see all across. And that's the same when you start to see Jesus's life. He lives it for the Father and the Father's glory, but which part of the story is that that it's shown in? Anyway, this, this, that, that's, that's why it's so important to actually make sure we read the whole story of Jesus. Because unless you know the whole aspect of Jesus, you're missing out on parts of Jesus that Jesus is. And the thing is this, my, my, my analogy, my little activity that we got to do, it falls short because my story isn't written down. I haven't done an autobiography. You can't read it at any time to be able to see it. But there's no excuse when it comes to Jesus because it's recorded four times. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. They're the four books that record Jesus's life as he lived it on earth, all giving different perspectives, different views, all the same account, but in a, telling the story a different way. And this story that we're reading today appears in the three synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the fact that it appears three times in these three gospels means it's really important. But we forget to read this story. If you want to know where they come from, the three different recordings of it, in Matthew 9, verse 32 to 34, that's the first recording. If you're reading them through the way the Bible's written, then you've got our reading today, which is Mark 3, 22 to 35. That's the longest one. We're going from 20 today to give a bit more context, but it's from 22 to 35. That's the longest recording. And then you got it in Luke as well. Luke 12, verse 8 to 12. If you want to check me there, that's where you can find them. But we're reading from Mark today. Mark chapter 3, verse 22 to 35. And uh, I bet this is a story of Jesus teaching that we don't know as well as some of the others. So I'm gonna invite Kimberly up. She's gonna come and share the reading with us this morning. So she's gonna come up stage. Um, 
So I'm just going to start from verse 20. Um, Jesus accused by his family and by teachers of the law. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, he is driving out the demons. So Jesus called them over to him and he began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all of their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. Now he said this because they were saying, he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived and standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers, they're outside looking for you. Who are my mother and who are my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Sorry, one second. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you. Now this, I want to put it out there right now. It's awesome. It's a great reading and it is so dense for us to learn. So dense to the point that I can't physically cover all of what's in here in a sermon. So what I'm going to do right now is extend out my hand. If you have questions from this, after the sermon, make sure you contact me or you contact Simon or someone that you trust that knows the Bible and that you can actually talk to them because this is only, like, we're going to focus on what the Bible has to say today, but there's so much more to it. And to apply that to your life personally, either you, you got to have that conviction in yourself or a strong prompting from God, or you need to sit with someone that can actually talk through it with you. So I am going to offer out that extension now because that this, this sermon I know will not cover it all. <laughs> but we're going to give it a red hot crack, a red hot crack. Let's start together in the, in the first part. We're sort of going to break it up into three parts today, three parts. Uh, and I feel like it's my responsibility that we just delve into the word and really understand what it has to say. We're just going to look at it because we don't read this much. So verse 22, verse 22 says, just wait for it to come up on the screen for you. It says, but the teachers of the religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan? He asked. 
A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. He would never survive. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Jesus is the ruler of this world because he can stand above the evil of this world and has conquered it through his death and resurrection. But he did this in more than one ways. He can say this at this moment because if we look at the other account of Jesus's life, before Jesus did this, he spent time in the desert. And in that time in the desert, after his baptism, he actually conquered Satan in his first bout of temptations. In this time, Jesus has now bound up Satan as he would, as the Bible has put it. Jesus has displayed his power over the enemy and he is able therefore to cast out demons. He's able to take control of evil in our life. He's able to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit through him because he beat Satan in the desert after his temptation. And what's happened here is some some translations say scribes, some translations say Pharisees, some translations say uh, questioners, but what they are is they're a religious group that have it out for Jesus. They're not liking the fact that Jesus is developing a following. They're not liking the fact that Jesus is more popular than they are. It's kind of like high school all over again. You know, they're the kids that want to be like Jesus. They want to be better than Jesus. They want to be the most popular and they're not liking it. So they're starting to make packs, packs with the Romans of the time and and different people to start plot against Jesus. And it's in this that they actually uh, are coming to approach Jesus to start to try and denote him, his character, his integrity and his ability to speak into people's lives. They label him as satanic. The scribes are unable to recognise that God was doing something unique in the teaching and works of Jesus. So they attribute his powers to the only other existing source, which is the source of evil. Because they could not deny the reality of the miraculous works that Jesus was doing. So even the people that were against him couldn't deny that he was doing it but they had to try and find somewhere else that was doing it from. So Jesus sees this as an opportunity to teach his disciples. He starts a lesson and he he refers to one of his his well-known techniques of teaching a lesson, a parable. And the parable is basically just a simple story which illustrates either a moral or spiritual lesson. And to show that the scribes, uh, accusing him, what they're accusing him of are false. So the message of the first parables was, Jesus cannot be the prince of demons because if he was, it would mean that the satanic sphere of power were internally divided. Now there's a few big words in that. So I'm going to stop and say that again, right? The satanic sphere of power were internally divided. 
if Jesus was evil, if Jesus was a prince of evil and he was casting out his own evil, then he would be ruining his own kingdom. It doesn't make sense. So it can't be that Jesus was evil. And if that is the case, the whole kingdom of evil couldn't stand. So in, the, in, in that first story, Jesus breaks apart this idea that he is the prince of demons. Furthermore, he goes on to say, if I am evil, I have to be more powerful than uh, if, if I'm, sorry, if I'm not, if I'm evil, because I'm good, it means I am more powerful than the evil. And that's why it's so important to remember that he beat Satan in the temptations in the desert. So because of his goodness and how much more powerful he is in his goodness, he is able to bound up Satan, take over the powers of evil and release people from evil. He's able to forgive people of sins. He's able to do miracles because he's so much more powerful. Jesus cannot be Satan or a prince of evil, but Jesus has power over evil. He cannot be because he is so much more, but he has power over evil. So we continue to move on in the story and, and, and it starts to get real meaty. The, the, the depth to this, this next part, these next couple of verses, it, it's, it's debated and talked about so much about what it means. It's verse 28 to 30 and it's, let's, let's read it together. I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. The accusation that these religious leaders were making against Jesus through the works of the Holy Spirit is the blasphemy toward the Spirit of God. And blasphemy, by the way, in case you're not familiar with the term, is, is an action or an offence that speaks sacrilegiously about God. But in this part of the reading, blasphemy directed toward the Holy Spirit, particularly. It starts with all sins will be forgiven by God. And that's beautiful because it just gives this picture of the size of God's heart that no matter how badly you treat yourself, your others, uh, in, in, even God himself to an extent that you will be forgiven. In the eyes of God, you are loved and there's mercy and grace for you. No matter how far gone you may think you are, God's grace is there for you. His hand is outstretched and he's looking as a father to run and meet you off the balcony as you enter from the gate. He's always trying, willing that you will come back to him. But, and this is what the verse is saying, if, you, if a person persistently attributes to Satan what is accomplished by the power of God, 
That is to say, if you make flagrant, willful, decisive judgment that the spirit, the God's spirit's testimony about Jesus is satanic, that person does not have forgiveness. And it's a really bitter pill to to swallow. It's quite hard for me as a preacher to say that. I really don't want you to misunderstand this this morning because a lot of Christians can say, oh, I've just done this and does that mean I've done the unforgivable sin? No, no, no. I really want you to understand what this means. Jesus in the moment, He's closing His teaching to His disciples. Remember, He's telling them these parables because He wants them to learn and subsequently we get to learn. There is a big distinction between the extreme case of blasphemy against the Spirit and just kicking your toe as you stub it in the middle of the night and you call out a profanity. There's a big difference between the extreme blasphemy against the spirit and questioning whether God is actually there. There's a big difference about speaking dishonorably about God than blasphemizing the Holy Spirit. There's a big difference between not understanding God and how you articulate that and how you engage with that or whether or not you do or don't than blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. If we look at it, you think of a biblical example even. Peter denies Jesus three times before his death. But each time after they reconnect, when Jesus has risen and has his resurrection, Jesus says, I love you. I love you. I love you. There's a big difference between a a human instinct and time and actually deliberately, actively giving credit to Satan for the Holy Spirit's actions. The person who persists in hardening his heart against God, against the work of the Holy Spirit and against the provision of Jesus Christ as Saviour removes themselves from the reach of God's provision. They remove themselves from forgiveness and salvation because Christians and Christians often worry that they've committed it. But such a concern in itself is evidence that you are open to the work of the Spirit. Let me just restate that for you because if you are worried you've committed this sin, then you obviously have an openness to the Spirit's work for God's heart for you that you obviously do not have this sin in your life. And, and, and I said that this, this is a controversial topic. A lot of preachers often say uh, that this is, you know, case specific. It was only relevant to the time when Jesus was there. Uh, I can't get amongst that. I'm sorry. This is, this is, I, I serve a God and we serve a God who is consistent through time to time, past, present, future. We serve a God who judges fairly, who judges in the revelation of himself to his people. We serve a God that doesn't give one rule to one person and to others don't. So if he's calling this about on these Pharisees, we will have the same implications on our life if we commit this to who? But we, don't ha- we, we have an opportunity not to. 
And the fact we are here together is, a, is something that I believe is a willingness to that we don't engage with that. People that despite the revelation of God, and you could probably think there's really famous people that despise the revelation of God. It's not something that just happened back then. People that give praise and adoration to something else when it's so clearly due to God, that's when it starts to enter into this territory. The Spirit was not limited to working in the time when Jesus walked this earth and it is not limited to the time when you finish walking this earth. Our God is a God of consistency and He will judge consistently. But what has happened is the scribes that they, they were in the face of the clear and the irrefutable evidence of the power of God working in the life of Jesus and they were witnessing this in person and in the face of that, they were deliberately coming up to him immorsefully attributing the work of what they could see is the spirit to Satan. They've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit and they've committed a sin, a sin which that cannot be forgiven. The denial, let's put this up on the screen for you. The denial and intentional distancing of God and the attribution of the works of the Holy Spirit to the evil one is the unforgivable sin. But I don't want to sit in this. Like this shouldn't be our attitude. I got to make sure I don't do this. That's not the point of this. This is good for us to know, but it's not the point. Rather, if we look at Romans 8 verse 1, Romans 8 verse 1 says this for us, and this is where we need to sit as Christians that are sitting in the love and the grace of God. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation. If you are in Christ, if you've sat and you've said, Jesus, I'm sorry, I have sinned and your ways are higher than mine. Jesus, I choose you as Lord and Saviour of my life. Lord God, I want you to direct me and form me into a person that you desire me to be. You sit in this opportunity here with no condemnation. No condemnation. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's beautiful. And that's where we need to sit. Oh, better get a wiggle on. There's another part that I'd love to mention to you real quickly. It, uh, it says this, it's, it's 30, verse 31. And, and it's talking about the family of God for us now. And this is one of the first times that we actually start to, we start to uh, hear of God adopting us into His family, of God actually including us into His love and mercy. And I'm going to keep walking out of the frame. No, I'm going to recenter. We're going to we're going to actually start to hear about his his uh, acceptance of us, no longer as friends and disciples, but as his own children and mother. It says in the verse, but let's get to it. Let's read it. Then Jesus's mother and brothers they were looking for him because remember they were hungry, and what mother doesn't want to feed their son? But this says that the mothers and brothers came to see him. They wanted to summon him. They stood outside where he was preaching and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus. And once someone said, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? 
Then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Wow, what an invitation. What an opportunity. We get to embrace and be a part of the family of Jesus, the family of God. An extension to us to bring us into his own family. And this is massive. Jesus, in his triumph, invites you into his family. But it it does say that we will be recognized whether or not we're in his family. It says, He who does my will will be part of this cohort that he's assembled. You know, if we go back to Romans, uh, there's a verse in chapter 12 which says, Do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. If we are intentional, if we are deliberate in being a part of God's family, our actions, our words, and our ways will start to reflect the actions, the words, and the ways of Jesus. This has been very dense, I'm sorry, but I really wanted to make this something we understood because we don't read it much. What I'm going to do is I'm going to slide back to the piano for a bit to create some atmospheric music as we do some response questions though because we can't just leave it there. We we can't just hear it and not ask ourselves, what does this mean for us now? And and we we got to look at it and actually ask ourselves, how am I going to respond? So I want you to take some time, whether you need to shut your eyes, whether you need to uh, find a posture that suits you best. And we're going to ask ourselves some questions. And the first question is this, just simply, how do you respond to this passage? How is your spirit being prompted or guided in this? See, there is forgiveness for you in anything and everything that we've done in life. Romans 8 verse 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What do you need to ask forgiveness for? What is it that you need to bring to the foot of the cross, that you bring to Father God? Ask Him to take the shame and guilt away that you may need help in to overcome temptations, that you may need more conforming and renewing of the mind so that you may more look like one of God's family members. What is it that we need to ask God for, forgiveness for? 
Finally, I want us to reflect on this idea that the Saviour of the world, the one that's more powerful than any evil of this world, invites you into His family. The question is, will you accept the invitation to be part of this family? And if you have, maybe it's, who am I going to reach out to, to read the Bible with? Who is it that you're gonna reach out to, to pray with? Are you actually amongst the community of the family? Because if, I don't know about you, but if I didn't see my family, I don't know if I'd really call them family. Who is it that you're stepping into life with as a family? Do you need to meet up and have a coffee with someone? That's my preferred method. Or maybe even there's all our sermon series up online if you'd like to take those next couple of steps of figuring out what it looks like to be part of this family. And on the flip side, if you're already part of it, maybe you need to ask, who am I gonna read the Bible with? Who am I bringing into a community group? Who am I watching online church with? Can I watch a sermon that we have done prior with someone? Can I meet up with someone for a coffee and have those spiritual conversations that I know they're yearning for? Lord God, I just pray right now that as our hearts are stirred, the conviction of the Spirit sits so heavily on us that we can't help but want to engage with people in our lives as a family member about these things. Lord God, we just pray as we continue to respond that Your Spirit keeps to just declare over us the, uh, the life that is to be a family member of You. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite the band up and we're going to respond in song.